It is good to see everybody this evening. Good indeed. Let me get situated here. All right. This evening, I want us to finish up this particular series that we've been doing for the last, uh, this will be the sixth, uh, the fifth part of this series. And I've entitled this, uh, Look Unto Jesus. Let me get my little thing here. <clears throat> I've entitled this series, Look Unto Jesus. And as I've emphasized on these Sunday evening lessons, I want these to be faith building lessons. So we've looked at a, a couple of these series in the preceding this one. We talked about God as our strength, looked at about five different uh, reasons for God being our strength. And we've looked at the uh, uh, Genesis flood. We looked at that in some detail, showed a lot of picture slides of, you know, pictures I took at the ark, the replica of the ark in Kentucky and, and demonstrated and showed how everything would fit and all the animals and so on. Uh, all of the supplies, the food supplies and everything, the living quarters, all of that fits in that huge, huge monumental ship, especially built during that particular time. But again, it was built in such a way that it would be really difficult for it to capsize, even carrying all the weight it was going to carry because of the architecture design that God uh, designed within that it instructed, Moses, uh, instructed Noah to, uh, to, to follow. Now, in this particular series, we've, we're look, saying look unto Jesus. So we talked about God is our strength from a number of different perspectives. And we've talked about how we need to look unto Jesus for a number of different reasons. And you could probably come up with some more, but I thought these were six pretty basic or five pretty basic reasons why we really need to look unto Jesus. Uh, if there was ever a time, and this is how I've tried to emphasize this, looking into each of these sections, if there was ever a time in our world, if there was ever a time in our country, right now is that time that we should be looking unto Jesus. The things we see going on around us, and not just the wars and the conflicts, but the hatred, the violence, the you know, skewed view of God on the part of a number of religious persuasions around the world, but also in our country, there is this continuing, and we might say it's been gradual, but it's been going on for so long that it's really heightened right now, percentage of people who either would say, well, I don't really believe in God, or maybe I might leave an opening for belief in God, but they're skeptical about it, or they're, they're maybe agnostic. And, and I've emphasized that when you're talking about atheism, agnosticism, or skepticism, you're really talking about pretty much the same thing. Uh, you know, just some different, you know, technical terms to, to, to kind of define the particular view of God and the Bible that certain individuals might have. But really, you're talking about pretty close to the same thing, people who basically do not believe in God. So we are in a state in our country right now, 
And when you start to dig a little bit deep, and you don't have to dig very deep at all, you start to see all kinds of worldliness and ungodliness. I'm afraid that we in the church a lot of times, and I'm afraid that this goes across, across church identities that would call themselves Christian, you know, so it would incorporate the denominations and, and, and all of those. I'm afraid we've got, we, we, we just become rather numb to what is happening and developing in our culture, in our country right now. We are really going down a downward spiral, but it's not something that just happened all of a sudden. It's something that has been developing. The devil's been doing his work for a hundred years on our culture in our country. And now we're seeing it's gone so far, it kind of opens our eyes and say, well, what happened? Well, what happened is we've not been paying close attention for a hundred years. And so we have gone farther and farther down that downward spiral of worldliness and ungodliness. If there was ever a time when we need to look unto Jesus, mankind needs to look unto Jesus. Our country, the world, now is that time. But we can't somehow pass a law and order everybody to look unto Jesus. We can't somehow, you know, reach out with some government edict and say, everybody's got to start looking unto Jesus. Everybody's got to start believing in Jesus now and following Jesus. That doesn't work. It begins with each person individually looking unto Jesus. And each one of us needs to really ask ourselves on an ongoing basis, and this is just an exercise in self-examination, and we see those instructions in the scriptures more than once that we need to examine ourselves. Am I living a life that is really centered in Jesus, walking with God through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It begins with the individual. And it goes back to what we've emphasized many, many times in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. We are supposed to be, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be seasoning salt, making things better around us. And we're supposed to be shining light, shining the light of Christianity and godliness through the life that we live and thereby influencing other people to see Jesus through our example and our lifestyle. So it has to begin with each person and then as we can influence others, because we can talk to them, as we can encourage them to start re refocusing their life, more and more people can become Christians. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two is kind of a base text that I've used in this particular study to get us focused on each particular point that we have gone over. Here, the Hebrews writer, and this follows chapter 11, which is often referred to as the Bible's hall of fame. And so in chapter 11, you have different, you have one character that is focused upon from the Old Testament scriptures, a character of faith, one after another, after another, after another. And so chapter 12, beginning with verse one begins, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and the, the, the focus is upon all of these men and women of faith that were referred to in chapter 11, they, you get the idea, kind of the imagery that you're in a Colosseum and we're running our race of life and they're sitting in the stands watching and cheering us on. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we want to put off all hindrances to our being able to finish this race successfully, the race of our personal individual lives. How am I living? And as I've said and emphasized many times, we don't have to finish first in this race. We just have to finish faithful. We just have to finish obedient. So let us lay aside whatever might be holding us back, whatever might be hindering us, slowing us down, handicapping us some way from a spiritual perspective. Let us set that aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. And the imagery again is he's at the finish line waiting with our reward, eternal life looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the cross, died thereon, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus, we're considering several reasons why we need to, if we're going to be wise in the way we live our lives, we need to look unto Jesus. Well, we need to look unto Jesus because he is our savior. The apostle Paul wrote about that in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. We need to look unto Jesus as our Lord. Now, first we might say, hey, savior, obviously that, that's the first thing that comes to our mind. He's our savior. But also, as we emphasized, he is our Lord. And a whole lot of people would, would confess him as savior but they don't let him be the true Lord of their life. They want to live their life the way they want to live it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, he's declared to be, God has made him both Lord and Christ. We need to look unto Jesus as our ultimate example. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. And we need to look unto Jesus as our mediator with God. And that's what we focused upon last time. He is our contact our go-between, between us and God the Father. And we looked at a number of different passages of scripture that brought that out, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5 being one of them. Now, as we conclude this particular study, and this is one people don't like to think about, we need to look, to, we need to look unto Jesus as our judge, as our judge, because he is and will be on that final day of judgment our judge. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, the apostle Paul wrote, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The apostle Paul wrote that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's going to be no opting out of standing before Christ as our eternal judge on that day. No one's going to be excused from that particular uh, from that particular appointment, we will all come before him. And being God the Son, he will know everything about us. So there'll be no pulling the wool over his eyes. There'll be no trying to explain away in some faulty fashion why we have done some things we have done or why we have not done some things we should have done. 
we'll all give an account for how we have lived our lives, whether good or bad. In John chapter 5 and verse 22, we read, for the fa- and Jesus is speaking here, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So even Jesus, when he was here upon this earth, he declared himself to ultimately be our final judge. We look also in chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He brought life, the way to life, into this world through the message of the gospel and in the identity of his being our Savior and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Jesus openly declared that God has given him authority as our final and ultimate judge. You know, I I can't tell you how how many funerals I've spoken at through all of my, you know, preaching life uh, beyond my memory. And some years there have been more, some years there have been fewer, but it's been an ongoing, you know, situation. And I, I get up before a family, sometimes it's people I didn't really know, but I get a phone call. Can you do a funeral for so-and-so and so-and-so? And, and I use that as an opportunity to try to reach the family and all the friends of the family who gathered there that day. I don't try to preach anybody into hell or into heaven necessarily, uh, unless if I know the individual, and I know that they're fa- they've been faithful to God. I have a personal knowledge of them, maybe on an ongoing basis. Then I can I can be a little more at ease, and I can I can you know express my knowledge of that person's faithful, dedicated life before God. But if there's somebody that I may know, they were not living in the ways of righteousness. They were not following God's instructions in the Scriptures. Now, a whole lot of people would want to try to, uh, you know, and I've sat in those kinds of funerals in the audience, and I've heard people, I've, I've heard preachers, you know, preach somebody into heaven pretty much. And I knew something about some of those individuals. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how can you be saying these things? Do you not know? You probably should know that, how that person lived their life. You almost at times want to get up and walk up front and look in the casket and make sure you're in the right chapel because of what's being said about this individual and you know they did not live that kind of a life. But I, I, you know, but I don't try to preach anybody into hell and I'm careful about how, you know, trying to, in, you know, move people into heaven by my judgment because I'm not the final judge. Now, again, if I know how somebody's been living, I've been knowing them for maybe 10 or 15 years, and I know they're faithful, dedicated Christians, then I, I feel more at ease to be able to say some things. But mostly, what I'm trying to do in that funeral service is reach the people who were sitting there at, as, as, you know, people expressing their, their mem- just by being there, expressing their memories of the loved one who has gone on. I want to try to help them get ready for that day when they will be laying in that casket before a crowd of family and friends and neighbors and so on. But I'm not the final judge, and neither is anybody else. God, uh, God through Christ, 
Christ is the final judge, we will be standing before him on that final day of judgment. In the apostles were actually commanded and therefore so are we to teach that God has ordained Jesus to be judge. And that's part of what Jesus himself commanded the apostles to preach, that he has been ordained by God to be mankind's final judge on that final day of judgment. Now maybe you haven't thought about that, but Acts chapter 10 and verse 42, and here he commanded us, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Second Timothy chapter four, verse one, the apostle Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing at his kingdom. Now, as I said, we want to think of Jesus as our savior. We want to think about, yeah, I really need to make him Lord of my life. We want to think of him even, you know, when we, we probably a lot of people don't think this deeply, but, but to think of him as our mediator between us and God. He is the way we can go to God through him. And he said in John chapter 14 and verse six, there is no other way to God except through me. We want to think of him in those positive ways in those positive ways, and to even think about him as our example. But when it comes to thinking about thinking of him as our judge, well, that kind of takes our breath away a little bit, doesn't it? Because we don't, we don't look forward to standing before his judgment seat. At least most people, I don't think, look forward to that. We need to always live our lives in such a way that our lives demonstrate our dedication, absolute dedication to God. So we need to think about how we act, how we speak, what we do, what we participate in. Colossians chapter three, and we also need to stop and think about what we don't participate in, what we try to make excuses for not being a part of, actively involved in. The apostle Paul wrote, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. God is not prejudiced. God is not partial. God is not, as the King James Version puts it, a respecter of persons. All of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and each one of us will answer for how we have lived our lives. And again, there will be no, no faking it. There will be no, you know, uh, pulling the wool over our Lord's eyes. He'll know everything about us. That there is a reality, that, that there will be a day of judgment is a reality. There's no question about it. No question. We must come to grips with that reality. We, there will be a final day of judgment. It is written down, it is emphasized, it is repeated numerous times through the New Testament scriptures and there will be no avoiding it. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13, 
John the Apostle writing that particular book of the, of the Bible, God's Word. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now he's looking in a prophetic vision. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. We wish John would have gone into more detail in some of the accounts that he laid out in, in the book of Revelation. But he says something here that is very profound and that we ought to take to heart and we ought to pay attention to and not just gloss over it and wish he hadn't written this because he did write it. And this is God's word. He wrote by inspiration, guided by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote so that it would be God's very word. Now notice he says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. We will stand before God the Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, on that final day of judgment. And books were opened books, plural. And there was another book opened, which is the book of life. And so with that, I think we should understand that is a book of basically God's record of our lives. The names written in that book will be the names of those who will be, who will spend eternity with him in heaven. But then he goes on and he says, now first remember he said books, plural, were opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Do you think these are the books that are being referred to that are going to be the standard by which we will be judged? The books of God's word? That makes pretty good sense to me. That day is going to be certain. It is a reality that we will not escape. And we'll have no secrets before our Lord on that day. No secrets whatsoever. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. In the day that when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. And the gospel Again, God's word, New Testament Christianity, the things that are written in the books that God has authorized to be written down by those picked, hand-picked and inspired men who wrote those scriptures, that will be our standard. When God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Hebrews 4 and verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One part of the nature of God or a characteristic is the technical term is that he is omniscient, meaning he is all-seeing, all-knowing. We can't hide from God because another term is he is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time at the same time. He is all-knowing, all-seeing. He is everywhere all the time at, 
at the same time. The, one of the prophets writing in the Old Testament scriptures talks about how there is no darkness that blinds God's eyes. Darkness becomes like light to him. He sees everything all the time, all the time. So we'll have no secrets before God. And God has assured the judgment. And this is something that a lot of people may not realize. We think about the crucifixion and we think about the resurrection following the crucifixion, demonstrating that Christ dying on that cross was designed by God and it was basically commissioned as part of our Lord's mission to this earth to be that perfect one time for all time sacrifice. Hebrews 7 and verse 27. But as I've said many times in teaching on the crucifixion, the resurrection is really the pivotal point of Christianity because anybody could have died on that cross claiming to be the Son of God and the Savior. But the fact that God raised Jesus from that tomb, raised him from that grave, raised him from physical death on the third day following the crucifixion, that validated everything Jesus said, did, and claimed to be during his ministry upon this earth. He claimed to be the Savior dying on that cross. And the fact that God raised him from the dead, physical dead, proved that he is exactly what he claimed to be. His death on the cross was for the purpose that God sent him to fulfill in that death on the cross. Everything he claimed, everything he taught was at that point when God raised him from that tomb alive physically after having died physically, it validated everything that he said. All of the doctrine that he taught while he was here upon this earth in his public ministry for those approximately three years. God has assured the judgment not just the fact that Jesus is our Savior, not just the fact that Jesus is our Lord, not just the fact that he is our example and that he is our mediator with God, but God has assured that we will stand before our Lord, that there will be a final day of judgment by that same resurrection from the grave the fact that God raised him from that tomb, from physical death, the scriptures tell us, assures us that there will be that final day of judgment. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, the apostle Paul was teaching in Athens, Greece. And he was telling the crowd gathered there, most of whom did not believe in God but he was talking to them about the true God. They were idol worshipers. And there were so many altars to different supposed gods, lowercase g, idols, that they were showing respect for. But they had one, one altar that said, and it was empty, 
it said to the unknown God, the one unknown to them, in case they'd missed any. And Paul said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. That's the one I want to teach you about. The one you don't know about. The one who is the only true God. And so as he's coming to the end of that particular sermon, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but that's in the past. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Just as surely as God demonstrated and proved that Jesus is his son, that he is the prophesied Messiah come to earth, that he is the Savior, that he is the Lord, proving all of that by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Just so, that same resurrection, God says, proves assures all mankind that there will be a final day of judgment and that all will stand before my son, your Lord, on that day and give account. We need to look unto Jesus. We need to look unto Jesus as our judge just as much as we need to look unto Jesus as our Savior and Lord and example and mediator between us and God. As you deal with all of life's challenges and uncertainties, look unto Jesus because he is your savior. He is your Lord. He is your example. He is your mediator. And if you ignore all of that, all of those truths, you need to look unto Jesus realizing one day he will be your judge. Are you ready for that day? Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, holds us back, keeps us less than completely productive in our spiritual lives before God and before mankind around us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, our lives, in other words, individually. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are you looking unto Jesus as you're living your life every day? If not, we want to help you to change your life. We'd love to be able to sit down with you and study God's word and help you see what it fully says about how God wants us to live before him. If you know you need to make a change in your life, we want to encourage you to make that change. If you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins, looking unto Jesus, we would love to help you with that this evening. If you need the prayers of the church, for whatever reason it might be in your life. We'd love to pray with you and for you in the name of Jesus.
you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?